There have been a lot of themes that have developed for us as we've been in the book of Genesis. We're familiar with these stories, but if we weren't, these are stories that would have us on the edge of the seeds. Creation followed by rebellion against a holy God. But even though these two rebellious creatures deserve punishment, what did God do? God showed mercy. And then we saw the first offspring of this couple. And this offspring should be the one who will restore things. He should be the child of the promise. He should be the one through whom the Messiah that is promised should come. But we know the story. Cain killed his brother. He is unworthy. And Abel's dead. But yet God in his mercy, what did he do? He provided another son to fulfill his promise. And then as we continued through Genesis, we saw in an, un- an unrighteous world and the people of the promise are being sol- polluted by sin. And so we find out that God is going to destroy the world. But he keeps one of the promised ones safe from the waters of the flood. And we even see, we've even seen recently how Abraham was in some sticky circumstances. And it was usually because of his own doing he got himself in some serious trouble. But God still rescued him. It's what God does. And so we've landed in an interesting spot in our journey through Genesis, haven't we? And we've known it's coming. The last Sunday that I was here, we saw Abraham interceding for the people of Sodom, right? Abraham knew what God was going to find there, and so he asked him to spare his judgment. He said, if there are 50 righteous in the city, won't you spare them? And God said, fine, I will. And through that very repetitive passage, Abraham whittled God down to saying that if he finds merely 10 righteous, he will spare the city. But we know how the story goes. We know that judgment is coming on the people of Sodom. And we didn't read all the way through the story today, and so we don't get to that moment of judgment. What we want to look at today is what is bringing the judgment, but we also get to see how God rescues his people. And this is a difficult passage. It's, it's uncomfortable and alarming, but, it, but it's part of God's holy word, and so it is of benefit for us to dig into it and find application for our lives from it. So as we come to the text, we're going to break it up as we usually do into three points to help us navigate through it. First, we're going to see that Lot greets the men and is shown to be righteous by his hospitality. Lot is an interesting person, isn't he, in the story of Abraham? And we're going to see that over the course of the next few weeks. Several weeks back, we saw Lot needing to be rescued. But now he's moved back east to Sodom. And now he's at the center of this story. He's in the middle of some trouble again. And while in places Lot is seen as not following the righteous path as he should, in this story, he's set up as someone who is righteous in the midst of unrighteousness, similar to how Genesis set up Noah. Now our second point is that we see the sinfulness of Sodom. When the angels come to the house of Lot, they are threatened 
And we see on display the issue that has caused the angels to come and assess the situation here in Sodom. And then lastly, we see that the angels of the Lord rescue Lot. Once again, we're going to see that God finds his people and he rescues them from the wrath that is to come. And we didn't read the full description and, uh, and all about the escape today, but we see what God is going to do as we see the angels divinely step in and keep Lot safe. So as we start off with our first point this morning, we have ourselves in verses 1 through 3 today. As I mentioned in the previous chapter, we saw that the angels were headed away from Abraham to examine the situation over in Sodom. Now, remember, there were three angels in the previous chapter, right? God himself came and visited Abraham, and they, they confirmed the covenant with Abraham. But now, heading down to examine Sodom, we only have two. It would seem that the angel that would have been a manifestation of the Lord himself has departed from them. And these two angels travel to Sodom and they arrive in the evening. Now, this is significant because if you arrive in the evening, you clearly need a plan on where you're going to sleep for the night, right? And this little detail gives us a little hint at where our story is going. As we see this story develop, we find a familiar person who is in Sodom, Lot. Now, the last we knew, Lot had to be rescued from that little skirmish between the kings, but he must have had himself a nice little place to live in Sodom that he wasn't ready to give up because he's moved back there with his family. Now remember what we know about the movement of people in Genesis. This is important. Remember that, that when people move east, the idea we're meant to see is that they are moving away from the presence of God. When Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, they, were east of e they went east of Eden. And after Cain murdered his brother, where did he go? He moved even further east. And we saw a few weeks back that when we talked about Lot, that he moved east and away from the covenant people of God, he went east to the region of Sodom. And what we're meant to understand as we read this story, as we, as we imagine where the people are going, we're meant to understand that Lot has moved away from the presence of God. Lot has left the covenant people. And this is where the angels find Lot. And for us, it might seem a little odd that Lot is sitting in the gate, right? I mean, I haven't seen any of you when I come to town sitting by the Edgerton sign over there. That, that's, that's weird for us, right? It doesn't make sense to us, but Lot is actually in a place of importance by being at the gate. In that time, in the ancient Near East, to be at the gate, like Lot was, meant that he was a respected member of the community. Business was done at the gate. Decisions were made at the gate. Rulings were made at the gate. So Lot greets these angels, and he gives them honor. He gives them respect. And this was important in the ancient world. Hospitality is an important, future, uh, important virtue in that culture. And notice that he bows his face to the earth and he also offers himself as a servant. And he offers them a place to stay, but, but the angels instead want to stay in the town square. Well, it's important that we understand how the story is building up here, how it's being told. 
While Lot has been suspect in some ways, and he has left the covenant people, here in this story, he's being set up as being virtuous because of his hospitality. We also saw this uh, when we were back looking at the life of Abraham. When he had the angels in his presence, what did Abraham do? He greeted the angels. He served them. He was hasty to be their servant. And as I said back then, what is this doing? What is the story doing? It is setting up the virtue of Abraham versus in his hospitality versus the lack of hospitality that we're going to see in Sodom. And Lot's hospitality here is emphasized over and over. He, it's important. It's important that he takes care of them. But he seems to be a little extra incessant about having them stay at his home. But we find out from the continuing story why that is, right? You get a sense here that there's more going on than just Lot not wanting them to have to sleep out under the stars. Something else is going on. He's concerned for their safety. And as we move on to our second point today, we see that the sinfulness of Sodom in their lack of hospitality and in the other things is, is apparent. And this is a little bit difficult for us to work through. It, it's uncomfortable to read because we don't like to think that something like this can happen. It's important that we acknowledge that while we have not seen overt commands yet in Scripture against homosexual acts and rape in the book of Genesis, we haven't seen it yet. We have already seen that the created order reveals the sinfulness of these things. Back in Genesis 2, we talked about this. When God placed the man and the woman together and made them husband and wife, we saw a godly sexual ethic on display. The man and woman are united. They are one flesh. That is the description. And the created order reveals this to us. It also reveals that this is a complementary relationship. Sexual relations are not forced but instead, they are to happen in this one flesh union of love between a man and a woman who are husband and wife. And as I mentioned back when we were in Genesis 2 earlier this year, this also lets us know that any sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. And it's outside, and anything outside of God's intentions for sex. And that ethic, that understanding, is working at the foundation. This is what underlies the whole story here. Even though we haven't gotten the commands of God yet, we see here that these things are a concern. They're understood to be sinful and they're against the righteous nature of God because it's contrary to his created order. So with that underpinning, we come to verse four and see that Lot clearly had an agenda by insisting that these men stay in his home. He, he was not only protecting them from the elements, he was protecting them from these people who would do them harm. And we, as we look at this part of the passage, we see that clearly people saw the men come to Lot's house and now they want them to come out. And when we see what they want to do to them, we fully understand the reason that the angels have come to survey what is going on in Sodom. This is more than just about hospitality. They aren't just rude, to visitors. And so God wants to reduce the city to rubble. There's more going on. As I said, what is beneath the surface here is that their lack of hospitality goes much deeper because it denies the created order that God has put into place. But we also see other elements 
of our sinful human nature on display here, right? There is a mob mentality. They feel as though they can do whatever they want. They make the rules. They are overcome with sinfulness. And I want us to stop for a moment and consider our own desires and our own sinfulness. In this story, it is so easy, so easy to point fingers and to feel self-righteous because we aren't going to do anything that we see displayed here. But anytime, anytime we see a passage that talks about the judgment of God, we need to pay attention because we are sinners and we deserve God's righteous judgment too. Any story of impending judgment should cut right through us because as we see next week, God does judge sin. And even though it might not look like the rebellion that you and I have in our hearts or the rebellion that we see in certain Bible stories, we are rebellious people. All sin is rebellion against God. And we, we need to assess our lives and realize that without the grace of God, we're without hope. And we're going to see a glimpse of that grace when we come to the end of the story today. But right now, we have to deal with this part of the passage. And it's a difficult part that we've come to here. What do we do with Lot? Look at what he's doing. I, I, hope, I hope you're as upset about this as I am. He's offering his virgin daughters to the crowd. That is horrifying. Who would do something like that, right? What's going on? And we can't even begin to understand this, but in the ancient Near East, you were bound. You were bound to protect the guests within the walls of your home. And so what does he do? He feels obligated to risk his own family to protect them. This is still a wicked thing, but he feels obligated. As I, as I said, we, re, we read this and we think that he is out of his mind and that what he offers here is wicked, but it seems what Lot is trying to do is to do what he believes to be the lesser of two evils. And we rightly, we rightly look down on Lot for this, but imagine trying to navigate this situation. And then imagine trying to navigate it without your modern conveniences. Lot didn't have modern locks on his home. Lot didn't have a gun secured by the Second Amendment. A mob was going to do what a mob wanted to do. Imagine being in the circumstances that Lot is in. It's an awful situation all around. And it seems to be without a good solution. And that is what we're meant to feel. That is what the text is doing to us. This is a situation where there is no escape. Lot is wanting to do anything he can to get out of this situation. And he is willing to protect these men that he's obligated to protect at any cost. He's in a desperate situation, but we're going to find out that it's going to get worse. And again, we're meant to feel the increasing pressure of hopelessness. But it turns around a lot, doesn't it? Even though, as I said, he was at the gate and he was clearly a respected member of the community, now this mob mentality doesn't care. They care little for that respect that he had earned in the community. The mob wants what the mob wants. And look at what they say here. You're an outsider, and now you're judging us? Who do you think you are, outsider, to tell us what we can and can't do? How dare you tell us that what we're doing is wicked? 
And so they decide to deal with him more terribly than they would with the visitors. And you can feel this continued descent into hopelessness. As I said, this is what the text wants to do to you. It wants you to feel that this is a bad situation and there is no way out, period. They can't keep a mob out of their home. They can't fight their way out. What are they going to do? Imagine hearing this story for the first time. Imagine being one of the Hebrew children listening to this story as your parents or grandparents tell it to you in the wilderness. What are they going to do? How are they going to escape? And this feeling of being without hope is what leads us to our final point today when we see that the angels rescue Lot. We see that they risk themselves and they, they grab Lot from their hands, from the hands of the mob. And when they bring him in, we see some familiar language that we've seen in a previous passage about judgment. Now, notice they bring him in and what does the passage say? They shut the door. If you are a Hebrew, having the story told to you about the history of your people, you're going to recognize right away. But because we have broken up this story, we're not telling it in one big long story, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you some clues as to what the reference is. They shut the door. Remember back to Noah? Remember back to Noah and his family? Who shut the door in the ark? God. God saved the covenant people. The flood could not get Noah and his family because God had personally ensured that they were safe and that they were closed in the ark. It was a divine rescue. And that is exactly what we are meant to feel here. That this is the only way out and it's the work of God. The only thing keeping Lot from wickedness and judgment is the rescue of Almighty God. And we see that this is a divine rescue. Because it isn't just a story about someone snatching someone out of the way of harm. The people outside the house are struck with blindness. That's divine. This isn't a parlor trick. These are clearly not ordinary men. These are angels. These are servants of the Most High God who are here to rescue the covenant people of God. Now, every time I read through Genesis and come to this part of the story, I'm struck by the last part of this final verse that we read this morning. They wore themselves out groping for the door. Think about the level of depravity at work in the hearts of these people. They don't quit even when they are made blind. They just won't stop. And the reason I'm struck by that part of the passage is because I believe each and every one of us has been at that point in our sin. We know what God has to say about what we do, but we don't stop. We wear ourselves out chasing our sinfulness. We're no different than this situation. That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. We often wear ourselves out. We don't care about God's law. We don't care if we're going to be judged. Nothing, absolutely nothing is going to keep us from our sin. And just like these people, we are blinded by our sin. That is our state in our sin and unbelief. And what we need is what Lot needed. We need divine rescue. 
And as we think about this rescue, we have to think about what we know is coming next week. God is going to rain down judgment on Sodom, and Lot and his family are going to be spared. And in our passage today, we see Lot, and he is, he is desperate, right? He is desperate to rescue the angels from the men. It starts at the beginning of the passage, and it continues. He goes out. He'll do anything to rescue and to save these men. But what we see here, they were desperate, or he was desperate to save those men. But what the angels are showing by their actions and what they are going to say that we're going to read next week, they're going to say, you are concerned, Lot, with rescuing us, but Lot, you need to be rescued from the wrath of God. That's the story here. We are so concerned about saving ourselves. We believe that we can do it on our own. But when we think about our sinfulness, the message of the cross is that you need to be rescued from the wrath of God, and God in Christ has done that for you. This part of Genesis that we've looked at definitely stands on its own. But at the same time, it reminds me of those television episodes that I, I'm not sure if I liked them or hated them when I was a kid, where you realize that the story isn't quite done, and so you're probably going to see those words to be continued. That's what we read today. You can definitely get a sense here that even though Lot was rescued, there's a to be continued coming, and we know what will happen. And next week, we see the conclusion of the story. And this is just a glimpse of what is coming. But the one theme that will come through both passages is that God rescues his people. And so as we finish up this week, we're confronted with this passage. And we want to come away from it with something that we can apply to our lives. And I believe there are two applications that stand out for us here. The first is that we need to think about where we're at. Lot went to Sodom and put himself in this predicament. He had had problems there before, and he was rescued by Abraham uh, through God's hand. But he still returned, and he separated himself from the covenant people of God. Now perhaps we can impute good motives to Lot and think that maybe he, he didn't think that he would be polluted or that maybe he could be a good influence on his neighbors there. But we can see that it's important that we draw a line sometimes. By the way, Lot adamantly petitioned the angels not to stay in the courtyard. He knew what was going on. He knew this mob. He knew everything that was going on. And my point is that Lot should have fled from the sin of Sodom long before this. And I'm not suggesting that we should flee from every circumstances where we're in the presence of sin. You wouldn't even leave your house, right? That, that, that's not possible. But what I'm saying is, it's important to know our circumstances and understand that perhaps we are called to move away from certain places before we're sucked into what's going on, whether that's by succumbing to sin that's tempting us itself or by suffering the consequences of being around that kind of thing. And so may God, in his mercy, grant us the wisdom to discern where we are 
and know how to protect ourselves from sin and the consequences of it, whether that be our falling into sin ourselves or whether we're going to be affected by our proximity to sin. Secondly, and this is so vital, find comfort in the God who rescues. Lot got himself into this, but yet God shows up. He didn't need to. He didn't need to send angels to assess the situation and rescue Lot and his family. The sin of Sodom was well known, and it deserved judgment from God. But in his mercy, God rescues his people. Even when Lot had moved east, even when he had moved away from his presence, God sought out Lot. And this is our hope as those who were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We were without hope. In our sin, we were east of Eden, and God would have been just in punishing us in our sin and unbelief. But instead, what did he do? Through his word and spirit, he rescued you. He sought you out. In our sin, we were blind. We were groping at the door in our sin. But in Jesus, our eyes have been opened. And this is unbelievably good news for us. We've been spared from his wrath by his grace. Why? Because we have been given the gift of faith. And we trust that the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is enough to save us from our sin and our depravity. And so may we go into this world in the coming week mindful of this passage. It's a difficult passage, but it clearly shows us sinfulness and our need for rescue. And no matter what the world around us looks like, may we rest in the truth that when we are in Christ, we are the covenant people of God. And we have been rescued. Rescued from our sin and from our blindness. And so may we proclaim this good news to those that are around us. That by his word and spirit, God may open the eyes of the blind to see his mercy and his grace. And that we have been saved by our Lord Jesus Christ from our sin and unbelief. Amen.